Well, Sandy, as as much as we had a celebratory ending of last episode, uh, we're we have a very uh, traumatic and dramatic uh, beginning of this this story. We are in Second Samuel chapter eleven, and David, as you shared, has just stepped into a prominent position as a king, and uh, he had great success. And what, what led us from when the ark was brought into Jerusalem to uh, this account? In your mind? Well, I mean, I think, again, um, it's it more uh, success with uh, he uh, subdues enemies of the state. He forms a, an administration uh, that, for the most part, is benign and uh, shows great kindness to the people. He appoints ministers and officials, and uh, the state is being developed in, in, in wonderful sorts of ways. Uh, he can't build the temple, which was his great dream, um, for reasons that are uh, maybe more complex than we can get into. It's some people think that God saw him as the one who had to uh, win the battles, set up the state, go through difficult experiences, uh, and that it would be right for him to set the stage for it, and then mm-hmm. his son would, as we later learn, uh, would set up the, would, would construct the temple that was uh, the objective of all of this. And in response to all of that, David brings the qualities that we talked about last time, modesty, gratitude, praise, acceptance of a role that was not quite what he had wanted. Yeah, he wanted to go further. He wanted to go further. Yeah. So we get to a place where we now are, we now see David settling in fully mm. to being the king, and something happens. Yeah, so sometimes when we settle in, that uh, that's a problem. So David's older in age, would you yep. say that? Yep, okay. definitely. So uh, this is how Second Samuel... Uh, 11 starts and with sometimes with great writing the first sentence tells you much so it says in the spring at the time when kings go off to war David sent someone else with the king's men of the whole army out to war and he stayed in Jerusalem Uh, so there are some people who make a lot of uh, significance in that when kings were in war David was back at home uh, so David is home. He is uh, he's on the rooftop of his palace. He sees a woman named Bathsheba bathing. He calls for her uh, and sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant, and then he realizes that it will be made incredibly obvious of of his decision of of his failure. So he tries to have Uriah to come back home to cover what happened so that he would come back home from battle and sleep with his wife. And so Uriah would think that this would be his son or child. But as we see with Uriah, he is someone of such great character. I mean, he shows such noble character in this story, which makes it even more uh, tragic. Uh, So he's brought home and he won't go into his home and sleep with his wife. Instead, he sleeps at the doorstep. When David hears about this, he he calls Uriah to him and says, Why haven't you gone home? Why haven't you been with your wife? And uh, Uriah says this. He says, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. How how could I be with my wife? How could I go in my home? 
So David sees that this is going to be difficult. And so David realizes he's going to have to take matter into his own hands. Sends Uriah back out to the battlefield and gives the instruction for the commander. Put him on the most fierce section of where the battle is. And pull away the troops so that Uriah is by himself and so that he's struck down and, and killed. I just imagine Uriah seeing these brothers pull back from him for, for him to turn around and wonder why they left him. And he's struck down and he's killed. Not only him, but also that they suffer a great defeat that day on that battlefield. Ugh. Yeah, you know, it's a very difficult story. Uh, and I want us to not spend too much time on it. But it's fascinating to me that there are many commentators, traditional commentators, who don't want to see any more of David's culpability in this than necessary. Hmm. And in fact, and I won't go through each item, because I think a, you've given it a pretty clear reading, uh, they will go through that story and find Uriah's behavior to have been uh, wrong or uh uh, guilty of various kinds of things. Uh, so rather than go through each item of the story, <clears throat> the issue that I want to pose just briefly, and then we'll get back to the tale, is why would there be people who would want to defend David after what we've just heard um, and find a way to blame Uriah or to uh, uh, free David from culpability? Uh, traditionally, uh, there are uh, a few reasons that have been explored. One is that uh, David is going to be the ancestor of the Messiah. Uh, that's certainly something that we have to wrestle with. I mean, in Christianity, David is seen as the ancestor of Jesus. Right. Uh, and Jews hold out the view, too, that David will be the ancestor of the Messiah. So that's a bit troubling. Uh, we have grown to be fond of David, and we admire everything about him until this. And even, even if, how do we explain it? How do we explain this? With the story up to now, how do we deal with what happened here? I mean, this is just another great example of that. Even someone described as a person after God's own heart, still a person. And our eventual hope is not in a flawed leader. And we're all flawed. Um, so in the Christian tradition, um, there's genealogy that uh, follows, all, especially in Matthew's gospel, it, there's a genealogy at the very beginning that describes the, the lineage in which Jesus came from. And there, it's full of people who are flawed. Including it includes Rahab, um, a very notable prostitute. Yeah. So there, there, there. Yeah. We don't require that the idea that they're 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 without flaw. Right. Which I think our desire for there to be a perfect hero gives us license to believe that God uses other people and not myself. Because mm -hmm. if we have any humble understanding of ourselves, we know we're flawed, and I believe. God's consistent choice of redeeming and restoring flawed people uh, is its comforting, but it also doesn't get us off the hook that maybe God's going to use us too. And, and can use and us. And can use us. I, I mean, right. the idea that God, I mean, what would it be like if we thought that uh, you have to be perfect yeah. to be use, useful to God or useful in the world? 
You're, who would be who would be working? Who would be there to be to work for God? Right. If, if that if this criteria were that strict. Yeah. Let's go on the, uh, because it's the rest of the story that helps us even get to a better place. Mm-hmm. The idea. Let me just uh, tell this story. So. Uh, in God sends Natan to David. That's an interesting idea. So Natan is David's counselor, prophet. The idea that God sends Natan to David. What does that suggest to you right off the bat before we get into what he said? <laughs> uh, I, I think that with sin is communal. Restoration is communal. I think as much as we want to say our mistakes is just between me and God, it's that's not the case in this. In this, there is uh, a widow. There are soldiers who had to release a friend to, to death, and so I. The implications, the consequences of our our broken decisions are communal, but also so is restoration. Mm-hmm. And so God does not want David to be afflicted with this. He wants there to be restoration, and so yeah, Nathan Nathan is brought into it. Uh, how do you see it? Well, I think that's all exactly right. And I think one of the tests, I think there's a test in this, and God's testing David. And one of the aspects of the test is how does David respond? How mm-hmm. does the king respond to a lower level person in the story <laughs> who has something yeah. pretty harsh to tell him? Yes. And, and there's a genius in how he shares it, how Natan shares it, right? And let's let's share it with our uh, with our let's share it. Because I just everybody. imagine like what if he just came out and said, You you slept with Bathsheba. Yeah. You killed her husband. Or had him killed. Or had him killed. Yeah. Uh and but but no, he's he's wiser than that. Let's yeah. so let's yeah. see, let's let's watch this and, and see what happens. So Natan tells David, There were two men in one city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had very many sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe that he had acquired. He raised it, and it grew up together with him and his children. It ate from his bread and drank from his cup and lay in his bosom. It became like a daughter to him. A wayfarer came to the rich man. He was reluctant to take from his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the visitor who had come to him. So he took the poor man's ewe, and prepared it for the man who had come to him. David has to react to that. Right. David, let, let's go ahead and lay this out. David is indignant. Yeah. And His anger just flared up, right? Flares up, and he says to Natan, As Hashem lives, as God lives, any man who does this deserves to die. <laughs> and he must pay fourfold for you because he did this deed and because he had no pity. And Natan then said to David, I love this line. You are that man. (laughs) That's right there. That's what you call the mic drop. Yeah. (laughs) Thus said said God, God of Israel, uh, Hashem, Adonai, the intimate God, the Lord of Israel, I anointed you as king over Israel, and I saved you from Saul's hand. I gave you the house of your Lord and the women of your Lord into your bosom. And I gave over to you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were not enough, I would have increased for you this much and this much again. 
Why have you scorned the word of Hashem, doing that which is evil in my eyes? You have struck Uriah the Hittite with a sword. His wife you have taken to yourself for a wife, while him you have killed by the sword of the children of Ammon. Ugh. And now the sword shall cease from your house forever, because you have scorned me and have taken the wife Uriah the Hittite to be a wife unto you. Who uh, says Hashem, Behold, I shall raise evil against you from your own household. I shall take your wives away before your eyes and give them to your fellow man who will lie with them in the sight of the sun. Though you have acted in secrecy, I shall perform this deed in the presence of all Israel and before the sun. So <laughs> David, so Natan and God level David with all barrels. Yeah. If you're David, what would a, what would a, a person who had heard this from Natan? One presumes that Natan is delivering the word of God. Right. A lower level aide comes up to you and and hits you with all this. Yeah. What what would a typical leader do? Well, first off, they're totally exposed. They've been exposed. The thing that they've been trying to hide is finally exposed, and all of it's exposed. So, what do you do with the? What do you do with the person who comes up to you and challenges you this way? So, the level that you just gave me, scorn and yeah. shame and yeah. disgrace. Yeah. You're going to get it. 10 times as much, and uh, you're not going to have a good end. The, the the person who comes and does this. Right. Yeah, yeah, off with your you, head. Off with your, you're done. I'm going to kill this guy. Yeah. It's I don't it's, need to hear this from this guy. Right, and especially you're done because you're not going to tell anyone else. That. Right, you're not going to tell anybody else. First of all, you come and you insult me, the king. Yeah. And second, uh, you know, and you're dangerous. Yeah. And isn't it so in antiquity that we would tend to think that in nine times out of ten, nay, 99 times out of 100, it would be off with his head. Yeah. So what does David say to him? What does David do instead? <laughs> oh, he says, I've sinned against the Lord. He owns it. That's all. That, simply. There's no uh, equivocation. There's no like, oh, what, you don't, under, you don't let me, understand. Let me get my uh, PR guy. Right. I mean, we're living in a time where people do stuff. Leaders do things. All right, I'm going to spend this. I'm gonna how, how am I going to spend this? Yeah. I mean, I won't get into the details. But we've got people <laughs> in a particular state. This may be heard. Uh, our podcast may be heard in a number of different times and places. But we have this going on all the time. Right. I'm going to have a press conference. I'm going to say, I really didn't do wrong, or you misunderstood. Right. Or if it's obvious I did wrong, I'm going to be contrite, but right. not really contrite. Well, it's interesting. You just shared earlier that scholars have tried to try to spin this, so it's not on. David's owning this. Yeah. He's saying, this is true, and I have sinned before the Lord. I've sinned, sinned against God. Yeah, just flat out. None of, no harm to the guy who brought the message. Probably gratitude. And no equivocation about accepting responsibility. Mm -hmm. And isn't that the beginning of repentance? Yeah, it starts there. You have to own it. You have to own it. There's Without equivocation, you own it first. And then what does he do next? Is I mean, this is really a model. We're studying this story partly because it, it models repentance, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So what, what, what follows from that in terms of the teaching of, of repentance? So it's interesting. So um, he owns it. He says he confesses um, that he confesses it happens. And then is the 
painful process of restoration. Uh, Nathan then shares that the sin is, take, is being taken away. And also says, you're not going to die. But then he shares, and this is the hard thing about it, is there still are consequences. And we would hope that the grace of God would negate all consequences. But sometimes the decisions we make, they have effects. They have consequences that are just about a part of life. And so that happens to David. And David continues to show us what it means to accept the consequences of your actions while also having a repentant, humble heart. And it really, I mean, obviously this child dies as part of it. Um, and uh, I think, Mark, uh, we, I hope we look at it in our next uh, podcast as well. But I get the feeling, and I, encourage, I wonder how you feel about this. Uh, and I encourage our listeners to read the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Don't you have a sense that from here on out until he dies, David has this on his mind mm-hmm. and feels that repentance is in order? Yeah, it's an openness to the Lord, uh, a willingness to receive the consequence of the suffering. But it's also an openness not just to end there, because there's some of us who believe that I deserve to suffer for the decisions I've made in my past. But what David displays is for six days he prays and fasts that the Lord would spare the, the, son, the son's life. And on the seventh day he dies. The servants are afraid to tell him because of, they don't know how he's going to respond. And what he does, he washes himself and he goes and he worships. He moves, he moves forward. And he moves forward with the Lord. He and Bathsheba end up having another son, Solomon, who would end up being the king after David, correct? Who would actually end up fulfilling the dream that David had to, to, uh, to build the temple. And so, just and who, by the way, by tradition, has given us three of the most glorious books of the Bible. <laughs> that's right, that's Solomon. right. And so, just think if he just stopped, if, if he believed his story, should he deserved to end this story in suffering. Uh, that's not the story that God wanted to write in his life, and that's not the story that David displays in his life. And, or the other alternative was to try to whitewash it. Yeah, that's right. To try to pretend it didn't happen in that press conference. I didn't really do all that badly. And we can, and, and we can cheaply go forward. Yeah. But part of the way he had to live going forward was to dedicate himself even more to God and to living... Uh, uh, in a manner that was pleasing and obedient to God. Hmm. One senses a surging faith, uh, not a declining one, not a pretend, not a I'll pray to God to show the people as part of my public relations campaign. In the privacy of his home and in his own life, uh, he would make decisions ever be ever more obedient to God as a part of as a part of the consequence, as a part of his response to this wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. What an amazing modeling for us here. We wouldn't have this story. I think there's a sense in which God gives us the story, almost on the idea that having a model for repentance is far more valuable than having someone who didn't make a mistake. That's right. So we have this story, and we also have one of my favorite songs. Uh, This has been a gift for me and my prayer uh, life and my personal worship with God over and over and over again because I have had to learn repentance in my own life. 
And I'm so grateful for the heart of David. I think by the fact that he's a person after God's own heart does not mean that he's perfect, but he's a person after God's own heart is displayed in his willingness to return to God again and again and again and again. And so he wrote Psalm 51 in probably the one of the greatest places of his pain. He wrote and, and praised the Lord. So let's, let's read it. Mm-hmm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know that my transgression and my sin are always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with this sop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. And here's the prayer that I've prayed over and over again. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I'll teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, you do not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous and burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Wow. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for this prayer, this psalm. I'm grateful that David decided to return to God with honesty. And grateful for a story that we wish we had never had to read. Yeah. But we take great delight and uh, meaning and and real value from mm. for having experienced it. Thank you, Sandy. Thanks for helping me experience it in a deeper way. You too, Mark.